This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. For a scripture reading, if you'd like to follow along in your Bible, we're going to look at Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, and in Acts chapter 28, verses 28 to 31. Acts chapter 1 and verse 6. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the time or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after this, he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And in Acts chapter 28, Therefore I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, good evening again. Uh, I'm Neil, the staff leadership pastor here, and today marks a unique day in the history of our church, and if you're a guest here and you, you don't know any, you don't have any idea what I'm talking about, and uh, if you um, maybe you've been around here and you've just zoned out the last six to eight weeks, okay? So what I mean is is that today, for the first time in the 17-year history of Community Covenant Church, we are a church without Pastor Mark. Um, Mark and Patty will be leaving. That last week was their last Sunday. They'll actually be leaving town, um, I think Tuesday or something, and. Uh, going down to Seattle area where uh, he is sent in a call to be a pastor to church down there. And so, uh, you know, how do you say goodbye? How do you say goodbye? Well, if you're like me, you just put it off as long as you can. Uh, last Sunday being his last Sunday, uh, after the 5 o'clock service, he and I talked and we realized we still had some details to, to talk about. And he's like, well, I've got to come in on Tuesday and, and pack up all my books. So I'll, we'll just sit down and talk. So we put it off. And Tuesday... Uh, we sat down and just went through those few details, and then we just kind of paused, and he still had lots of books on his shelf. So he was like, well, I've got to come back tomorrow. Let's just, we'll talk again tomorrow. So Wednesday came, we sat down and we talked, and we went through a few other little just minor details, and he still had lots of books on his shelf. And he's like, well, I'm going to be back in tomorrow, so let's just talk tomorrow. So Thursday came along, and when I went into Mark's office on Thursday, I noticed that the number of books on his shelves were, uh, were very small. There weren't a lot of books left, and so I knew my window of time to actually say a few things that I would want to say was, was, was closing. And so I, I did. I finally just said, hey, Mark, I, there's just some things I want to make sure that I, I, I share with you. And the men here will understand this. Right about that time, suddenly, both of, our, uh, both of us, our, we, we were, our attention was drawn to a spot on the wall down near the floor, and we couldn't look at each other in the eye. And, and so uh, there I am trying to mutter through my tears uh, of just some, some deep words of appreciation and love for him and, and love for, 
for him and his mentoring of me uh, these past 13 plus years. And we hugged and it was a it was a it was a good moment. And then we kind of regained our composure like men do, reminding each other that we'll see each other again, you know, uh, and uh, we'll have an opportunity to fish together sometime. And even though a lot of the, the, our conversation will be by phone and I reminded him, hey, if you ever need just really good insight and ideas, just call me. Uh, and uh, and so <laughs> um, but it's hard. It's hard saying goodbye when you have loved well and you've been loved well. And and so um, now. But what what do you think of what do you think of it when when someone tries to tell you how you feel about something or how you should feel about something? Uh, Autumn and I we celebrate uh, 19 years of marriage on Tuesday night coming up here, and so yeah, and uh, much joy in just that statement and all that's represented there. Uh, I I can think of I mean I've had a few occasions in 19 years to try to tell Autumn how she feels about certain things. And those are not my, my highest moments in our marriage, okay? So, but I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to try to tell you guys how you feel here as we enter into this transition. And, uh, actually, I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do, okay, though, I am going to try to put some voice to some of the things you may be feeling, some of the things you, you may still feel um, and, or have felt as we've been kind of walking through this, this transition. And... Uh, if you are, again, if you're new around here and you're thinking, well, how does this really apply to me? I'm not feeling what you're describing. Well, I, my sense is that some of the things I'm going to describe, there's something in your life that, uh, or at least some time where you have experienced some of these and some of the tensions of these emotions. And so I, uh, I really believe God has something to say to all of us here. Um, I've had a lot of what I'm calling just, you know, how you do in conversations over the last six to eight weeks as um, uh, once Mark and Patty made, you know, their decision and all that, just, just in one-on-one conversations and in groups of twos and threes and then in broader, like, corporate settings, I've just been saying, you know, hey, how are you doing with the new? How, how are you doing with Mark and Patty leaving? And um, part of that, it just seems healthy to talk about it and, you know, and to navigate it together. The other part of it is just as a leader, I, I want to try to gauge, you know, along with the other staff and leadership team, where are we as a church? and feeling all the things that we're feeling. We've never done this before as a church. And so I've been recording. I've been taking notes of the things that people have been saying. And so I'm just going to try to capture a few of those things tonight. And uh, maybe you can find yourself in here somewhere. A lot of just comments and expressions of disappointment, sadness, uh, grief, even forms of denial. Kind of like me, you know, Mark and I didn't deny and trying to say goodbye to each other until we have to. Okay, um, Others, you know, thankful that they're leaving for all the right reasons. Man, don't we have, aren't we, aren't we thankful that they're leaving for all the right and healthy reasons? That's a really good thing, and so we, sh- we should be thankful for that. Uh, expressions of abandonment. How could they leave us? Betrayal, flat-out anger, a sense of loss of control. How can they leave us and they didn't even ask our opinion on it? And then others, uh, well, we know that God is in control and God is faithful. How can I go on being part of Community Covenant without Mark? I've heard that a couple of times. And then others, I'm excited for what Mark, what's in front of Mark and Patty, and I'm excited for what's in front of us as a church, because I realize that, you know, the mission of the church transcends one person. And then a lot of just expressions of just kind of depression. And there's been a lot of grumpiness, by the way. There's, I, you know what I'm talking about. There's been a lot of grumpiness in our own home 
uh, Autumn and I would, would admit in, in, in us. And, uh, and then just uh, expressions of hope for the future and a holy anticipation for what God is doing and is going to do in our midst. I've also had a few of the comments, oh, I'm fine. And we know that, no, you're not as fine as you say you are. Okay, so. Um, and then this one really got me. Mark is like Indiana Jones. This came up in one of our corporate settings. I think some of you guys heard this. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to tell Mark that. I'm not going to pass that along. I'm not going to give him more fodder for his, his ego. But it, it, the context was kind of cool. The context, I think it was, I remember who it was. It was kind of like, you know, uh, Mark wheels the word of God like, uh, Indiana Jones wheels his whip or something like that. But I did not tell Mark that. So he just, I'm keeping that one, okay? Mark is like Indiana Jones. How many people will we lose? Maybe now is the time to look for another church. I've heard that several times. Every time I've heard that, I've also heard something very uh, right along with it, something like this. But this is where I have real friendships and connections. So what do I do with that? And these are just some of the things I've tried to capture. And if I were to encapsulate these into kind of a summary, summary uh, statements, one would be a lot of different expressions of, of grief and sorrow, and then a variety of expressions of just a, a, a hope for the future and holy anticipation. Now, it may, it may come across as, you know, well, you're probably one or the other. In other words, you're probably one or the other. And if, if you're really spiritual and you're really a, you know, a, a mature follower of Christ, you're going to be on that holy anticipation side. Uh, and you're not going to go the grief and loss route. Well, you know, we're pretty complex people, aren't we? You know, uh, Jeremiah 17.9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can really understand the heart? And so I think if, if, if we're really honest, we'd realize, all of us would say in some form or fashion, we've got both these things going on inside of us. At any one time, moving in and out of uh, these, these feelings of, of grief and loss as well as some holy anticipation. And what I want all of us to, to hear, in, right, at least right now in this moment, is I want you to know that, that experiencing uh, a sense of grief and loss is totally normal and okay. It's It's okay. I mean, we should experience some grief and loss. And if, if, if you're, you know, some of you are, are, well, yeah, I feel both of those, but I feel a whole bunch of the grief and loss right now and not much of the hope. And others of you feel more of the hope and holy anticipation, but you've, you're not feeling as much of the grief and loss. And if, if you're on that holy anticipation side more often, I'm just asking you, hey, allow the rest of us to grieve and to honor that loss. And that's something we have to do together. We have to hold these two things in tension is what I'm saying. We have to hold them in tension. Um, today, we're entering this series called Living Faith, Life Beyond Belief. We're going to be in this uh, for most of this summer. And it's going to be an opportunity to explore in a variety of ways the way that, um, that simple belief uh, becomes alive in people. You see, faith and belief are not always the same thing. You can believe something up here uh, but it needs to become alive in us to become a living faith. And I believe that, that it, holding these two things in tension that I just described, is an op- there's an opportunity to allow what we say we believe about God to, to, to take on new life and become living faith in a way that it, it hasn't, both as an individual as well as a church. We have to allow the gospel to come in and and uh, we have to allow all these emotions that we're experiencing to and run those through the gospel. Now, we use the word gospel oftentimes in the church and around here. And so 
uh, sometimes we, we, we just need to stop and, and make sure we're all on the same page. The gospel, the word gospel in the scripture simply means good news. So what is the good news? What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, here's one way of saying it. It's that God has done something unique among us because of his love for us. He sent Jesus Christ to deal with and address the issue of sin and brokenness in our heart that we are completely unable to deal with on our own. And Jesus came, he took upon our sin, t- took our sin upon himself, and he died on the cross and then was raised from the dead in order for us to experience salvation and life to its fullness. That's, that's the gospel. And if that gospel reality doesn't have something to say to us when we're in the midst of these two tensions, then in my book, the gospel doesn't, it, it, it's, it's worthless. Because this is where we are living. This is real life stuff. And I believe the gospel has something to say to us uh, during a time of loss and grief and change. And so uh, this gospel is also, it's a movement. Do you realize that, I mean, what we're doing here tonight as an expression of the church, the church is, is a movement of the gospel. And so not only can the, does the gospel itself have the ability to, to transform and bring healing in a time of change and grief and loss, it also has an opportunity to become fuel for the ongoing mission that we're called to. And, and so holding those two things in tension. So what we're going to do over the next few minutes is we're going to actually look. I want to I remind all of us of uh, how this message of the gospel became a movement that eventually became the church. And that how uh, over the past 2,000 years, despite some dark days in the history of the church, and despite a variety of leaders and spokespersons that there have been in the church, the church, this movement of the gospel, has continued to endure. And so we're going to do that through the book of, uh, looking at the book of Acts. And uh, Acts is, is really uh, is my favorite book in the New Testament because it's, it's narrative, and I love just story. And so what you have here, uh, the, the author, Luke, is uh, in the first five verses of chapter 1, he basically is describing uh, the, the, the days just immediately following Jesus' resurrection. Okay? So, and, and he describes that Jesus in his uh, uh, resurrected bodily form is appearing and has appeared to his disciples over a period of about 40 days. And he tells them, uh, you need to stay here in Jerusalem. Okay, this whole thing started in Jerusalem. He said, stay in Jerusalem until the Spirit of God, the promised Holy Spirit, is, is, is poured out upon you. And then we pick up uh, in verse 6 of chapter 1 when um, Luke says, Then they, the disciples, gathered around him, Jesus, and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his authority. So here's at least one example where they asked a question, there's something they want to know, and Jesus says, you're not going to know that. You're going to have to live in some uncertainty right now. But then he goes on and gives this incredible vision. There's, this is a prophetic picture he, Jesus gives here of this movement that they had no idea at the time what was going to happen and what that was going to look like and how they were going to be a part of it. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There's a picture here of what's, what was going to start in Jerusalem was just going to take on life and spread. And, and he's tying into God's intent all the way from the beginning. Okay, Jesus is, 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 is connecting this vision to the promise that God made to Abraham back in Genesis uh, chapter 12, about 2,000 years prior to when Jesus is speaking this. 
when God said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, and I'm going to bless you, and then I'm going to bless all nations through you. And Acts 1.8 is an extension of that God's intent and purpose all along to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And then, uh, verse 9, he says, after, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. He disappears. And this isn't the first time Jesus has disappeared on them. Right? I mean, they, they, so they, they, before he was killed, they had no idea he was actually going to be killed. That didn't make sense in their mindset. And all of a sudden, he's, he dies on the cross. And he's buried in a tomb. And their world is turned upside down. And it's turned upside down again because three days later, he raises from the dead. And over 40 days, he appears to, to them in bodily form. He gives them this vision, and then he disappears again. Now, I've got to believe something was happening in their heart. Those weren't exactly the same kind of disappearances, okay? Was their faith a little bit stronger at this point? Were they starting to catch something? I think so. But my, my guess is they, they, they still, I, my guess is they had to live in some tension right now of emotions that were going on inside of them. Wait, Jesus has been saying all this stuff. He said the Spirit's going to be poured out, but he didn't say he was going to disappear right, right in this moment. He had said it earlier, but you know how we don't make connections? And so I just believe that there was some tension inside of them they were having to live with. And so for a period of about 10 days, they stayed in Jerusalem. And then, as you'll see in Acts 2, uh, the Spirit of God was poured out, just as Jesus said. And what you have from there on through the rest of Acts is you have this, this movement that was launched. And what we need to remember is that this movement, I mean, this, the, the church, it launched as not an institution or a building, but truly as a movement that involved about 120 people. And these were, uh, you know, these 120 people, they, were, they started uh, going throughout Jerusalem, uh, talking to the Jews, to, to, to their, their fellow Jews, and saying, look, God has done something unique among us, and we saw it firsthand. I mean, right outside the walls over there, Jesus was crucified. And right over here, outside these walls over here, uh, he was raised from the dead. And he did that for, so that you can experience salvation. And so all of a sudden, these uh, Jews began to embrace this idea that Jesus was the Son of the living God, he, that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so um, more and more Jews started uh, catching hold of that idea and embracing that, and it started to, to, to fracture the power structure in Jerusalem because you had the Roman authorities and you had the Jewish uh, temple authorities, and, and all of a sudden these followers of the way, that's what they were called. They weren't called Christians. They were called followers of the way. They're, they're creating a stir. And the Jewish leaders didn't want anything to do with this. This was considered a kind of a sect or a Jewish cult within the Jewish religion. And so what do the, what do the Jewish leaders start doing? They start persecuting these followers of the way. And a, a man named Saul of Tarsus, who became known as Paul, was one of the chief persecutors. He, he would organize groups to go and look for these followers of the way and, and put them in prison, sometimes have them killed. And in the midst of this story of him trying to suppress this movement, he encounters the person of Jesus Christ, the very one who he did not believe in and the very one whose influence he's trying to, to shut down. And his life has changed. And he's transformed. And, and, and eventually he becomes the primary spokesperson for this movement, the, the, these followers of the way. Now, uh, Acts continues on, and, and Paul then, uh, eventually, he, he, he starts traveling outside of Judea and Samaria, sharing this message of the gospel. 
with the Romans and the Greeks. That's exactly what, what Jesus said was going to happen, right? You're going to be my, my, my witnesses outside uh, Jerusalem and beyond Judea and Samaria. Well, Paul started doing that. And so he, he's, he starts sharing this message with the Romans and, the, and the, some of the Greeks. And if you know anything about them, they had tons of gods already. And so he would go to them and say, God has done something unique in your midst. And he's done something that your other gods, Zeus, Jupiter, whoever, they can't do. And that is address the problem of sin and brokenness in your heart. Your inability to keep the law. And Jesus came and died for your sins and rose again so you could experience fullness of life and salvation. And so all of a sudden you have these Gentiles, the non-Jewish community, beginning embracing it by the thousands. And it just kept rolling and kept spilling out to more and more people. And you now, eventually you had, the, uh, you had people all over the world experiencing the reality of this message of the gospel. And what had happened in Paul's life is he had given, he had given into what this, the, the, ultimately the message, uh, and this is one way that Peter describes this message in Acts uh, chapter 4. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And so P- Paul became the chief uh, spokesperson for this movement. Now, um, this is how it all got started. And, we, and if, we, if we back up just a moment and we, we, we look beyond the account in Acts and we, we, we go beyond that and say, well, what happened in the church from that, that, that you know, point on? Well, we have to admit that there were some dark days. There have been dark days in the history of the church. Um, some terrible, tragic things have been done in the name of Jesus Christ. You go to the Middle Ages and you have the Inquisition and the Crusades done in the name of Jesus Christ. You have uh, corrupt leadership and you have theology gone badly wrong. Um, Helping people think that if they just have enough money, they can buy their way uh, into heaven. All kinds of horrible things have been done. But despite these tragic things, there's always been a remnant. There's always been a remnant of the church that stayed true to the simple message of the gospel. And they knew that it wasn't about an institution or a building or a form of worship or a liturgy. They knew it was about this message that had transformed Jerusalem 2,000 years before. And so uh, since then, some incredible things have been done in the name of Jesus Christ around the world. Hospitals have been built all over the world in the name of Christ. Millions upon millions of People have been fed, clothed, and housed in the name of Jesus Christ. Millions of children have been given an opportunity to be educated in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, in England, slavery was done away with in the name of Jesus Christ. And then that ended up spilling over into the abolition movement in our own country. You have missionaries that have given their life to share this message of the gospel. And now you have the, the church around the world in, in multiple tongues and languages Uh, and cultures, uh, and we're a part of that. As we speak, we've got three people from our family, uh, Roger, uh, Rory, and Robert, who are in Cambodia. These are pictures they just sent me the other day. They're worshiping with their Cambodian brothers and sisters in Christ. They don't even speak the same language, but their hearts are connected, and they're watching people get baptized in the 10s and 20s and 30s at a time in rivers. We are an extension of this movement of the gospel. And it eventually made its way all the way to Alaska. And uh, 17 years ago, uh, with a small group of people meeting in a home here in Eagle River, they invited Mark and Patty to come and, and help lead 
this, this expression of the local church. Now, um, the church has always had a variety of leaders and spokespersons. And um, the book of the account in Acts shows that. I mean, at the beginning of, of Acts, the main person is Peter. And you see that kind of weaving through there. He's the primary spokesperson that's highlighted there. And then you have, you have uh, you know, uh, some uh, stories uh, about Stephen and then Cornelius and, and Lydia and some other leaders. And then about midway through the book, uh, you, there's this pretty dramatic shift to Paul. Paul is now the primary spokesperson. But, but you need to, when you step back and look at the whole book of Acts, you've got to realize that it's not about any of those individuals. What, what Luke is trying to do, he's trying to show, I want you to see this movement. The Spirit of God is doing, and he's using different leaders, but the movement continues. Now, we're in a, we're in a season of, of transition in leadership. And um, uh, this, this transition is not going to be easy. Um, one of the things that uh, some of us as, as the leadership team and staff and, and others we've been talking about is that we've got to find, as we enter this, this, this season of change, we've got to find the right pace. And that's not always easy to do. When I, when I mean pace, we, how, how do we move through not too fast or not too slow? Because those are the two dangers, is that you try to move through too fast or too slow. Um, so we, first of all, we don't want to go too fast. Because if you, if you go through too fast through it, you don't allow us as a church to honor the, the loss and the grief, which we, we have to do, we must do. We must, we must figure out a way to do that well. Uh, the problem with finding the right pace when you're in the midst of it is it's, it's hard to know if you've got the right pace. And so uh, I, I just want to tell you that I'm really encouraged how, by how the, the leadership team and, and uh, leading and saying, hey, we're, we're going we're gonna to be, begin looking for what we're calling the transitional pastor um, we're not using, I'm trying not to use the, that, that whole long phrase, interim lead pastor. One, it's a mouthful. And, and, and two, transitional pastor is more descriptive of what this person does. Their whole purpose as a transitional pastor is to come in and create space for us as a church to both grieve well and also begin to be poised for the next lead pastor. This person does not become the lead pastor. They cannot become the lead pastor. Okay, their whole purpose is to help care for us, love us well, and help guide us through that. And um, and so um, I, I just want to tell you that that um, I, I'm part of that transition team that's that's talk. We're, we're in conversation with people, and I can't tell you all the details on that. But what I do want you to know is that we are really encouraged by what we see as God's love over us, simply by the people that He's allowing us to be in conversation with. You just need to know that. And I need you to know that I'm not sure where that's going to land in terms of who that's going to be yet um, and exactly when that's going to happen. But I want you to know that this transitional pastor is going to be a gift to us as a church. A gift to us as a church. So I pray that God will begin uh, preparing our hearts to receive this gift that he has for us. Well, um, so we don't want to go too fast. We also don't want to go too slow and just begin to coast. And, 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 and in that, the, the, there's also the temptation of beginning to turn inward and losing sight of the mission, which is always outward. Uh, and so two things I want to encourage you about in that is, one, I, we don't want to stop praying bold prayers. We want to pray bold prayers. And um, you can do that, you know, individually, but we also want to find ways of doing that together and listening together. 
So uh, we're going to have several of these over the next coming months. Tonight, you're invited right after this service at 630 in here to join uh, a part of the rest of the body as we seek to listen to God together corporately. Um, and it's, there's going to be a guided time in there. If you've never done that before and you're like, wait, what does that look like? I've never, we're, there's going to be some coaching and it'll be guided, a guiding listening time. There's a mystery in how all this works, okay? It's, there's not a formula to it, but we, we, we submit ourselves to the Spirit of God speaking through the body of Christ. And then there's some discernment that goes on in that. And then there's, there'll be a guided time of praying for some specific things. And the whole idea is to just, God, what do you want to say to us as a church? And how do we respond? So we invite you uh, tonight at 630 uh, for that. Secondly, I invite you to be a part of our leadership dinner, which is this Tuesday night, uh, the 26th. Uh, we, we, the staff, we want to just one way, one way to say thank you to all of you who are serving or leading in some capacity. And so we serve dinner um, to you, and uh, that starts at 530. And, but I want you to know that you're, literally you're all invited. Okay, we define leadership very broadly here. And if you're not leading or serving somewhere right now in the life of the church, you're leading and serving somewhere. And if you want to just be a part of hearing more about uh, what's going on during the, this transition, and um, we're going to be talking about that and, and kind of giving you some additional updates, we're also going to be asking for your feedback during that time. How can we encourage one another during this time? How, what are your best ideas on how to hold these two things in tension uh, and, and do that well as a church. The other thing we want to share with you during that time is something we're calling Life Together Wednesdays. Uh, this actually goes back to uh, some things that we, be, we feel like God has begun doing in us as the leadership team and staff back before we ever knew the possibility of the transition we were in. Um, every year we get together starting at the end of the year and then into February as in, in retreat, and we're just saying, God, what do you want? Is there something you want to do in particular uh, related to our discipleship in the next year. And God began stirring some things. Now, we can't do all those things, all of a sudden, when you go in transition. But there's, there's, some, there's a few things we just sensed. You know, God knew we were going into transition. And, and it's going to impact what Wednesday nights look like. And it's really, it's, it's really about discipleship that has a component for all ages. And it's about how do we do relationships well together. How do we do relationships well together? Especially that, we think that's really important, especially as we go into a time of transition. And it's also about how can we serve our community together. And so we want to share with you the, some of the things we're excited about in that. And we will also want to give you an opportunity to, to, to help shape what that looks like um, by your best ideas into that. So you're all invited. The problem is, is if you all show up and we don't know it, we're going to be in trouble. Okay? So if, you, if you're going to go, please go online and in, in the next, you know, tonight or tomorrow and just and there's a place you can register or you can sign up next to the, the information window in there and let us know you're coming. And so, uh, hey, it's also our anniversary. Remember I mentioned that? So you can come and celebrate with that. Don't ask Autumn how she feels about me scheduling this on our anniversary, by the way. Um, I know how she feels. You think after 19 years I would be, you know, I felt, I said it early this morning, I'm like, I shouldn't have even said that because there's a part of me that wants you to know. I didn't, I didn't forget our anniversary. I intentionally scheduled an anniversary. That's even worse. It seems like, uh, but, you know, you can, you can celebrate the anniversary any day of the week, right? Yeah, okay. Anyway, I won't try to tell Autumn how she should feel about that either. So, okay, I, I want to end our time um, Finishing, seeing how the story ends uh, at the end of Acts here. And uh, the story ends with Paul in prison. See if I'm in the right place. Yeah, okay. 
Paul is, is taken into custody in Caesarea down here, and he's taken by ship all the way up to Rome. It's a long journey, and you can read about it there at the end of Acts. It's fascinating. They get shipwrecked over here in Malta. So on top of being in prison, he's shipwrecked. And anyway, it's kind of, uh, kind of cool. Anyway, he, he ends up in Rome, and he arrives in Rome before his charges ever get there. So what do they do? Well, they stick him in a house, and they put a guard there, and they chain him to the guard. And now he's there. So what does Paul do? Does he just kind of take a little vacation here or whatever? I mean, he's been shipwrecked. It's like, you know, take, take a break, Paul. No, it says that three days after arriving there, he sends word to the Jewish leaders in Rome and says, come to my house. And Luke records that the, 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 those Jewish leaders, they came. Why? Because they had been hearing about this Jewish cult, this, these followers of the way. And they said, Paul, we, we've been hearing about this. We want to hear your views. Well, Paul can tell him his views, can't he? So it says that from morning until night, uh, he proclaimed the kingdom, kingdom of God to them. And he, he taught about the person of Jesus Christ. He shared this message of the gospel with them. Now, there were some Jews, apparently, that did respond, but not many of them. Uh, you can imagine Paul probably just seeing the, seeing the looks on most of their faces, and they're not getting it. They're not buying it. And they're probably kind of like, well, no wonder this guy's in, you know, in custody. He's kind of... And so... Uh, they actually begin disputing uh, among themselves, is what the, the story says, the text says. And so, well, how does Paul, how would Paul end this message, realizing that they're not getting it? Well, we have that recorded in Acts 28, 28. It says, therefore, I want you to know that God's, this, this is Paul speaking to them. I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish community, and they will listen and they will listen. How did Paul know? You see, Paul, you know, we, we saw in Acts 1.8, there was this prophetic vision that, that Jesus gave of what was going to happen. Well, the, right here at the end of Acts, Paul is also speaking prophetically. He, he, he somehow knows, he has an idea of what's going to happen. He's going to share it with the Gentiles, and they're going to listen. He basically says to these Jewish leaders, God has done something unique in, in, among you, and in your midst... Yet you've rejected your Messiah. But God's not done yet, he says. He says, and I'm telling you now, right here in Rome, that this message is, gonna, is, is going out to the Gentiles, uh, those outside of your own community, and they're going to get it. They're going to embrace it. They're going to listen. And all of a sudden, this thing's going to circle the globe and end up in Eagle River, Alaska, and here we are. The last two verses in Acts... For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. And what did he talk about when they came? He proclaimed the kingdom of God and talk, taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, the one who allowed him to be taken into custody and allowed him to be shipwrecked and then allowed to be chained up in a house for two years? Yes. And he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness while in chains knowing that at any given time, he could be taken and killed, which is eventually what happened. He was, he was released from uh, house arrest, he was rearrested, and then Nero had him executed. And now, the chief spokesperson for this movement that had become known and became the church was gone, was dead, silenced. But not the church. The church has, has endured. Why? Because it, it's, it's a movement of God empowered by His Spirit centered on the gospel. And we're an extension of that 
here in Eagle River. Uh, last Sunday night, I had, it was one of the last, one of the last uh, how you doing conversations I've had in this last week. But it was last Sunday night, the, you know, after the five o'clock service, uh, I asked Jackie Starr. Uh, Jackie, she, they're, they're, they're out of town this weekend, but they're, they're a regular part of this service. And Jackie and her family were a part of that original group 17 years ago. And so, I, you know, I thought, I'm going to ask Jackie how she's doing. So I, I, I asked her, and she said something that, that uh, I just think captures well what it means to live in this tension. And she, shared, she, she uh, allowed me to share this with you guys. Um, she said, yes, I'm sad. I'm sad to say goodbye. But then with a glint in her eye, literally, there was this glint in her eye and a kind of a half smile. She says, but I'm excited for them. And more than that, I feel equipped to move ahead in mission and to be a disciple of Jesus, to be the church. You see, Jackie was realizing, even as she navigates this herself, that something we've been saying for years, that we're, our purpose as a church and as leaders is to equip you to be the church, that that had happened, that had, that had happened in her. And I don't think she even caught it until she was this, this opportunity to enter into this transition. She went on and said, God has used Mark to lay a foundation for the mission of tomorrow for Community Covenant Church. Bill Hybels ended that video a little while ago by saying, tell me why the next five years of your life can't be your best five. Well, how about for us? Why can't this season of transition be absolutely phenomenal and transformational in the life of our church and the life of our community? Tell me why we can't go deeper in Christ and farther in mission. Yes, we're allowed to grieve. We must grieve. But there's no pain, no uncertainty or fear or loss that is bigger than the gospel. God's love, the gospel, trumps everything. Let's pray. Father, you, uh, um, in your goodness and in your creativity, you made us uh, as people who, who feel things really, really deeply. And... Um, you know, many of us are feeling a lot of things and a mix of things, Lord. I invite you, even now in this moment, to speak into uh, the, the things we're feeling. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, thank you that you, you know our hearts and you meet us in that place. Thank you that your gospel, that nothing is bigger than your gospel, Lord. Thank you for the, your love for us. Lord, I pray as a church that you would help us to find the right pace in these days ahead. Lord, help us to find the right pace where we, we, we honor the loss and we grieve well. Yet by the power of your Spirit, stir in us uh, a holy hunger, a holy anticipation for what uh, is in store for us. And I pray that you'd give us fuel for mission today and in t- tomorrow outside these walls. Lord, as we continue to worship, I pray that we would just respond to you with all of our lives, with, with, with our very lives, for who you are and all that you've done. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I invite you, if you want, uh, if you want, 
to, to have someone pray over you. I and I think there'll be others that are back here in the back, and we would love to pray over you. And I also just want to say that if, if there's anyone here that um, uh, that's not a follower of, of Jesus, I want you to know that if, if you're looking for a place to belong, uh, in, a, in a place to explore what it means to follow Christ, uh, I want you. To, I, I invite you into you know what happens next at, as a church. I want you to know that no matter what perspective you bring or have, uh, we will welcome you. We will love you. We will treat you with respect and dignity. And we're going to, we'll tell you right now, we're going to keep encouraging you to walk towards the person of Christ because that's just who we are. Uh, we really believe that, that, that life, real life, is only found in Christ. And we, we also believe if you hang out long enough with authentic followers of Jesus, you'll be drawn to the person of Christ yourself. So this is the love of God for you.